The 3P Champions podcast is brought to you in part by Art in Motion, where we create moving pictures. Send us your family photos, home movies. Give us a call. We'll do a Zoom interview with you. Turn it into a loving, customized tribute. It'll be the greatest gift you'll ever give. You can find us at www.artinmotion.tv. Thanks so much. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of 3P Champions. Today's champion is a longtime friend of mine. Not that that makes him a champion, but he would be anyway. Greg Gelb was a superior athlete. In high school, we played on the baseball team together and we wrestled together, but he actually became an accomplished football player as well. He played at Case Western Reserve, played offensive halfback, defensive halfback, and was the punter till he got hurt. And then he reverted to his first love, which took place before I had met him, which was music. And now He's a band leader. He teaches young kids jazz. He's brought his Triangle Youth Jazz Ensemble to Lincoln Center to compete in the Everything Ellington competition for five straight years. I think he's having a huge impact on so many young people's lives. I'm proud of him as an individual and certainly as a longtime close friend of mine. Greg, what do you think about Greg? Uh, I like Greg a lot. I like listening to him talk. He's kind of your down-to-earth guy, really humble. Uh, I like how he kind of made his path through life and started with sports and found his way over to music and wanted to use that as an impact to society uh, to influence, you know, mostly community and kids. But his passion and his work ethic, which is second to none, although you don't really hear as much from him, he's working his butt off all the time to become what he became. And so it's nice to see something different than sports and athletics where this guy's over teaching and coaching a different field of music and jazz. So I like Greg a lot. Okay. Here is Greg Gelb, Dr. Greg Gelb. When did we meet? Did we meet in ninth grade? Ninth yeah. grade. Rosalind. Yeah. I don't even remember how we met, tell you the truth. I don't, I don't either. I swear, I swear <laughs> to God, I can't remember. But yeah, we became friends fast and thick. Tell Greg a little bit about your trip from high school, college, where you are now. I was totally into uh, football and baseball in high school. More or less, I was real small, you know, when I started out in football and baseball. But I always had the goal of wanting to be like the best guys on the team. You know, I wanted to be at that, that level. And I eventually grew and I grew into my dream, more or less, of being able to play on the team and I did well, you know, I did well at it. I mean, it was, I guess I was a natural at it. Uh, you know, something I had done my whole life and I, I loved playing. And that's about all I really liked to do, except hanging out with friends. So uh, I was a really pretty horrible student, you know, uh, did good on maybe a couple of subjects, but everything else was a total loss. I mean, it was a joke. I was growing up just with my mother. My father had left when I was in the, uh, about the fourth grade. And um, even though he lived only about an hour away, we never saw him. He was not a hands-on father. He was doing his home thing, me and my brother and my mother. Uh, that's about all there was to it. And that, was, that seemed fine to me, but I needed some money. So uh, you know, my mother was always saying, get some money, you know, athletic scholarship. So I got a little, I mean, I didn't get a big deal anywhere, but I went to Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. 
and I played on their team. It was a good team. You know, I started on defensive halfback, uh, offensive halfback. I was their punter. So it was a triple threat. And that, and so this big, you know, article came back to Roslyn, you know, high school, showing me the picture on front page, triple threat. I have and the, I, I still have the article. That's yeah, great. but I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I really didn't. I didn't know. I was at college. It wasn't the same thing. I didn't have any of my old friends. It wasn't the same type of yeah. friendly spirit when you played anymore. None of us ever worked out when we were in school, high school. We just played, you know. Yeah. We ran, we caught, you know, and whatever. So by the time you get to college, you know, these guys are gigantic, man, and, and they're mean. So this is 1971. And um, Robbie and I, you know, we're both totally in the music too, you know. Um, and so we're following all of the counter-revolutionary people, you know, the hippie stuff. I loved it. You know, I was totally into it. And, you know, playing sports just did not seem to fit with that social culture, you know, where you wanted to make changes in the world and things had to be better. You know, we were all sick of uh, what we thought capitalistic corporate America. We thought we could change things. So it's hard to be a football player when you're in college and you have these other issues that and you want to, that you want to be part of. Plus, whether it's true or not, I thought the guys were just unnaturally too big. I thought the steroid thing might be happening. I also, you know, looked into the corporate culture of sports and I was thinking, you know, I don't want to just be a number. It just seemed like players were numbers, you know, statistics. And uh, of course, now I look back now and I don't think that's true because after what I've done in my life now, I mean, talent really makes a difference. I know that. And um it's not just a number. I mean, you really have to have talent. But at any rate, I was not into it. So I got out of that. Um, and uh, I got, I took a jazz class. Uh, jazz well, before you got out class. of it, you got hurt. Right, it's true. Yeah, I mean, I just wasn't prepared. Uh, we played so Cleveland you're Tech. Saying, what age is this? Like your freshman, sophomore year? Your freshman year. So you start and then you okay. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm starting on the team. Um, I got through that first season. I did real good. But by the sophomore year, I think we spent the summer together, right, Robbie? Yeah. At the Hyden Hotel. Yeah. So we spent the summer together um, working at this ho hotel, and there was a band there and everything, and it was real cool. I mean, because I, I, I knew how to play the clarinet a little bit by that end of that first year. So I played with the band. But by the time I got back to Case for the second year of um, being on the football team, I just wasn't into it. So I wasn't prepared. I wasn't being smart, you know, I like I was going to parties the night before games, yeah. you know, it's just really stupid. So I got I got knocked out by Cleveland Tech and I was down on the broken leg and, oh. you know, but, you know, it was like I just wasn't into it anymore. Well, maybe that was great. Maybe that was divine intervention. It was the purpose behind that. Like sitting in the uh, dorm room without being able to play and starting to read books and everything. I was like, you know, I like this, you know, so it just kind of I, I didn't miss it at all. But in the meantime, I'm, this second year, I'm also taking a jazz history class and I'm hearing, you know, these great sounds by these great artists like Miles Davis and John Coltrane. And I'm like, damn, that stuff is so great. Mm -hmm. And could I possibly switch gears and take up music? and become a, a saxophonist, clarinetist. I had played up until about the eighth grade, but I was horrible because I didn't like music. I never practiced. So I hadn't played in four years, five years, but I took it back up 
And I just committed to it in the same way I did sports, which was regular, the discipline of regular practice. I always loved. And uh, so I put that into my, what I was going to do with music. I can attest to it. Practice yeah. more than anyone I've ever known. But, you know, you hear the stories. Um, I got into the, the whole history of jazz. I mean, there's another aspect to it. There's a social aspect to jazz, too. It being a, an African-American, without the African-American influence on jazz, it wouldn't be there. I mean, it's, there's so many great African-American players. And so you're growing up, you're in Cleveland. There's so many poor black people in that town. You know, you think, well, jazz, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a black art form that I can participate in and I can share it. You know, maybe I can teach people more about jazz and maybe this will help somehow, the, you know, the cause of, of equality, you know. Yeah. So maybe there's something I could do, teach it or whatever. So anyway, that's, I was, all that was coming together, was totally turned on by jazz and, and um, read the book, the biographies and, you know, Charlie Parker practiced eight hours a day, Char John Colchan said, well, if that's what you got to do, I'm going to do it. So I dropped out a case. I went back home to Roslyn, took some lessons, and I just practiced six or seven hours a day for a year. And then I went to the Berkeley College of Music. And by that time, I think I, that's the first year I went, Robbie. Did I stay with you? Yeah. That I, yeah. yeah, we so lived he was together at, in Boston. Right. He was at Boston University. <clears throat> and he's having the life I wanted at Robbie Stoller. I'll tell you, man. You know, he had, It doesn't surprise me. <laughs> whoa. You know, but I was committed to music, you know, and I was like, um, it was like practicing, you know, I was just trying to get to the stage where I maybe be great. Who knows? But I knew it took practice and I was real good at it. I, I really practiced hard. But the only problem with that, and Rob was there when this happened to me, is that I had taken up music also for the goal of it being something that I could use in the community to help other people you know, to open uh, up more understanding of this great art form. Uh, I thought uh, people should know more about jazz. I thought people should respect these great artists like Duke Ellington and, and Louis Armstrong and know more about these people. So I thought I was kind of off track because I was practicing so much. And I actually quit Berkeley one day. It's kind of a guilt thing. It's like, well, all I'm trying to do is better myself. I couldn't see how I was going to be able to use it to help other people. And I was thinking, well, maybe I should go and be a social worker or something. Anyway, I came back and, and I told Rob I quit. And he said, what? And it was because of him that I, I re-enrolled. So thank you. He knows that. I didn't know, know that. I, you said something. And I was like, I felt guilty again. You know, so I hung in there and I got a music ed degree. And the other thing is my mother was an artist. A painter. And when she knew, when she heard that I wanted to be a jazz musician, you know, she'd been around artists all their life, you know, and knowing how hard it is, what a struggle it is. She said, well, you better teach. So I got a music, and that's a good advice too. So I did get a music education degree, but still music is a for, it's basically a foreign thing to me. I'm do I'm, I'm involved in a language. It's just not me, you know, uh, it, it doesn't come natural, not the way sports did. So I felt a little bit like an outsider at Berkeley, you know, because um, this is a, um, a world-renowned place where great musicians go. And, and I wasn't part of that scene. So it was kind of hard, you know, coming from being an athlete where you're at the top to now being a musician where you're at the bottom. And I didn't really know how to play with people. 
I knew how to practice. I mean, I could play my scales and chords up and down like crazy, but I didn't know how to play with people. I've hung in there and I've learned how to play with people. I mean, I understand music and I love it. You know, after seeing the Derek Sparks video last night, I, I said, well, God, what am I going to say? You know, after a guy like that. So I did, I wrote something down. And I, I say, I, I chose music at the age of 19 because I wanted to have something I would love to do for the rest of my life. And because I wanted to do something that I could share and teach other people and also do something that would make the world a better place. That basically has still been my mission. And I've, I've stuck to it. I've learned, you know, I've learned how to teach. I've learned how to write music and how to play it well. And I've basically the goal has worked out because I still love it. And I, I love to keep learning. And there's still almost, there's so much to learn still. And I'm learning all the time and I'm getting better all the time. The other thing that I wanted to say about music and jazz is jazz is kind of, if you're a leader of a group in jazz, you're also a player. So think about Duke Ellington. He's the leader. He's the writer of the band. He's everything about that band, but he plays with the band. And I think that's one thing I've, uh, I, I'm glad I chose it because I'm playing as I'm teaching. So I'm still growing. The kids are learning from me. I'm leading them. And I think they like seeing somebody who can play with them, who's better than them. Well, now some of these kids are amazing. You have a calling. So when we go back to Derek, he had the same confluence. You had all these different things. And when it clicked, he said, Greg, and he said on that, on that documentary, he says, Greg, I live with intention. So let me ask you this question. Now that you're doing this, you're a doctor. When, when it was that point, you're like, okay, I'm now going to do this and stick with this 100%. I'm not going to doubt myself here. I'm going to follow through with this. I know you say you're still a student, but it sounds like you kind of have a focus. Well, the doubt is still there because you're always reaching higher. And, you know, you wonder if you're ever going to make it. I guess, Greg, um, I, I would say there's been some real highlights that have just made me feel so great. I could talk a little bit about them, but I don't think I've ever just said, OK, I'm satisfied. I've reached my goal. It feels good at times, you know, to reach and you, you put on a great performance or whatever. It feels good. But then, you know, what are you going to do the next day? Well, then you're back to the workshop. You know what I mean? Then you're like, well, the thing that I've got to do, I've got to practice every day, you know, or I've got to write music every day. And then, you know, when I teach, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what I love to do. I guess the other thing about it, Greg and, and Rob, I mean, is that it was the hard work that I put into it. I mean, I think if things had been different, maybe I would have been a businessman or a restauranteur or who knows? But I, I have a feeling I would have put that much work into that, too. All the best winners I know, whether it's a John Stockton or Michael Jordan, they're, they're not comfortable ever. They got down right. every game. They're, that's why they're making sure they prepare. You know, John Wynn's a big idol of mine. He said something about when I'm done learning, I'm done. I feel guilty if I'm not practicing. You know, if a day goes by and I didn't practice or if I'm not staying in shape, I still, you know, have to do that. I, I don't want to wake up one day and be out of shape and feeling horrible and not being able to play, man. So, Greg, you have impacted thousands of kids. Jazz has to be the most foreign language in the world to them. So I know you're teaching them about jazz and sharing with them what you think is so important and magical about jazz. But tell us your, your teaching philosophy as it relates to all these kids that you've impacted? Again, lead by example. You know, 
if if I can't play it and and if I can't show that I know what I'm talking about, forget it. Uh, so that's an important part. I try to instill in them the the attitude that they've got to practice regularly, just like in anything else. Jazz is um, a series of steps you got to get through. You've got to learn the basics, which in jazz and in music are scales and chords. You've you've just got to know them, and I. And I'm constantly on them about that. Now, here's the thing about jazz that a lot of people don't get. It, it is an intangible concept because for the music to really be played right, it's got to swing. But how do you teach people how to swing? Mm. So it, it's not you can, it's nothing you can write down. And now I've gotten this from some of my mentors. There's a, there's a Dr. Ronald Carter, who is a wonderful teacher. He's the person you should have on this show, not me. He's <laughs> This guy is the motivator you've ever, and, and he can, he gets people to swing. It's a feeling in your body. You know, it's a feeling for the beat. Uh, it's a feeling like you're dancing to the music, but you only get it through listening. So I also instill in the, in the students, it's like, these are the people you have to listen to. You have to listen to the masters. You have to listen to Duke Ellington, Count Basie, Betty Goodman, you, you know, Louis Armstrong. Uh, I'm prepared. Uh, those things wear off on kids. I think in terms of philosophy, and I know it, I don't think it, I know it, that even that kid you think you got to push harder because you recognize ability in him, there are probably kids who you don't see the future as a musician for them. But I know for a fact that you care about every single kid right. you're talking to. And that, sure. that to me is what makes a great coach, a great teacher, and, you know, another thing that you've always displayed and that you share with all these other people, great people, accomplished people, is modesty. None of them will say, I was great. I am great. Not one. Right. Everybody else who knows them will tell you they were great. So I appreciate that in you, but I've seen you play. I've heard your records. I've seen you conduct the triangle jazz ensemble i've seen everything you do how many songs have you written we'll wait on that but even if you don't talk about how great you are i can say it i think you're a great musician and a great teacher and every kid you've worked with you're going to be the guy they're talking about when they're grown and when they have kids and when somebody asks them who influenced them who impacted oh, yeah. them they're going to say you that's what makes me feel good. I mean, you know, we've made it to this competition uh, at Jazz and Lincoln Center in New York City. We've we made it there five years in a row. Mm. And I've got uh, some some people here in uh, Sanford that I work with, a community group. And, and they go, you know, Greg, those kids are going to remember that you got them to this uh, uh, festival and they're never going to forget it. And they're going to really appreciate what you did for them. And that, that makes me feel good. You know, I love that. Uh, when they come back and they say, hey, if, you know, if you hadn't have gotten us to Lincoln Center, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I was doing. You're creating so, memories from dreams. I mean, I played high school basketball and I never had a chance to play in a championship game at state. And you're getting there five years in a row. And some of these kids will never probably play music in the future, but they can always say, hey, we made it to the championship because we had a great coach who cared about us. Hey, yeah. do me a favor. Define the word humility. What's that mean to you? Wow. Um, well, I, I never think about it. So 
That's right, because you're humble. <laughs> humility. You don't have to define it. You're humility. And the, the, the common core of everything is character. And for you, it sounds like the way you run your, your organization, your preparation, and the way you treat yourself. I mean, you, you exemplify character. If I'm, a, if I'm a, a parent and my kid wants to go study music, I'm looking for the best coach as character. And then you have a guy who has character, but has work ethic and discipline and everything. It's like, it doesn't get much better. And the fact that you went five in a row, how many people could say that? That's true. I mean, we're at a, a level where they're the top programs in the country. And Greg, you say he's from Washington State? Yes. Well, there's some unbelievable programs in Washington. Is there? Roosevelt um, is in Seattle. Yeah, bro. I used to live right down the street from it. Oh, incredible. So we're up there uh, playing against Roosevelt and Garfield. Yep, Garfield, yeah. That's where Garfield's coached. Wow. Yeah, Uh what a history of uh, jazz bands they have at those places. And and those are schools that compete, uh, that practice every day. They are regular full-time jazz programs. My program only meets one day a week on Sundays for two hours. So... We know we have a very competitive level to to reach, and they all the kids are all buy into it. Our kids buy into it. The competition's in, intense. We are geared towards it. And you know, you only play three tunes when you get to the finals. Yeah, I know. And how do you choose three tunes? My God! And how do you feature? Yeah. You've got seventeen people in the band. How do you make them all happy? <laughs> You know, that's the thing. We only have one Sunday uh, every Sunday. Just for a year yeah. long? Is it like... Yeah. I mean, I'll throw, we throw in some extra things. Like uh, we're playing this New Year's Eve. Oh. Um, well, we'll do some concerts on the side. Um, but, you know, not much extra. And we'll bring in clinicians. Sometimes that really... Like I was talking about this Dr. Ron Carter. Uh, he, he, he'll come in. The kids are self-motivated kids. It helps. Yeah. They, all, they come from all different schools. In a way, I have an all-star group because we choose, you know, it's an audition group and we only take the best uh, uh, from almost a three-county uh, wide um, span. So yeah. we get a lot of good kids. But Greg Stern was a legendary basketball player and is still super freaking bad on the court and his kid is going to be a superstar. He's got music in his soul as much as anyone uh, I've ever met. He'll he'll sing it, he'll play it, his musical collection, his just his whole musical mind is as active as anyone I've ever known. He's an absolute music lover. You know, I had dysfunction in my family as a young kid. Right. And I'm emotionally, I remember everything I'm emotionally tied to, everything. I'm I you can hear you can talk about Count Basie. I can tell you a guy I know that knew Count Basie. It's like I mean, mostly tied to music. So when I hear a song or music, whether it's country or jazz or rock, it takes me to a, a feeling I was at. Mm-hmm. It's my sanctuary. So when I'm stressed or whatever, I turn on the tunes. I sing in the shower. I saw the time. Or I go on the basketball court and I have tunes in my ear. And that's my, <laughs> that's my safety net. I think it's an emotional connection. Well, it's a real good point. I mean, you may, I mean jazz is a technically it's a, it's a difficult uh, art form. And so do we hear, do we hear the emotion in uh, my students yet? You know, I don't think so. Uh, not that much. I mean, we're, we're trying to make sure they're doing everything technically right. Yeah. And I went through that and I still go through that where I'm just being a technician at times. 
And how am I really playing my feelings? They say you got to tell your story when you improvise. And how much story does a student have? Some have it already. You know, some have it when they're young. But it takes a long time on jazz to master the instrument so it's just part of your voice. And then for your story to be and your feelings to be able to come through. Hmm. How prevalent is jazz music in the world today? Let's just say in America. I mean, obviously, when you go back, you talk about Coltrane, these guys, that's the roots, you know, these guys. But today, mm -hmm. as I hear all music, I, I don't hear a lot of jazz because I'm not probably in tune with those stations. But how prevalent mm -hmm. is that? How powerful is jazz in the world of music right now? It's like classical music. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have to go go to a symphony uh, and you'll hear in, incredible music. And But it's just for maybe 5% of the public that are going to choosing that type of stuff. You know, maybe... 2% people choose jazz. Since I'm in that world, if I go to see a concert by a jazz artist like Dewey Redmond or something, I mean, the people there were, were filled up in this hall. Everybody is totally into it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's a, I would say it's a, it's a small but dedicated audience um, to the music. And, um, but there's a lot of different styles too. I mean, like pop jazz, like Kenny G jazz, no. You know, I don't have anything to do with that. Yeah. Um, if it's commercial, I don't have anything to do with it. The real core of jazz to me is what's based on Ellington, Armstrong, Miles Davis, the classic stuff. Hey, who was the producer for We Are the World? Quincy Jones. Oh, Jones. He's right here. Yeah, he's from Seattle. You know, he, he starts out and he's playing with the big bands and he, he leads his own bands. But he's just got an ear for uh, making pop music sound great. I mean, he's he's the producer of Michael Jackson off the wall, you know, and we are the world. I mean, now there's a guy who somehow stays current and can work with the current popular music. I mean, he made Frank Sinatra popular. I mean, I mean that these are not he didn't make him popular. I didn't mean that. But he wrote a lot of great music for Frank Sinatra. So, no, I'm at a shortcoming. I still got my shortcomings. I mean. You know, I, I don't want to, I, I can't see how I can make my music popular. It's like, it's classic. It's like classical music. Um, I'm going to just play it as best as I can, strive for perfection in the classics. And I think the people are there. The small, there's an audience there. It's small. You can't just make a living out of it. You're not going to make large sums of money. You got to do it. You got to do it by teaching. Uh, you know, you got to do whatever you can to make it as a musician. They say people who can't do it, teach it. I never believed that. I, I've been a teacher for a long time and, and coaches, the same thing. It's, that's, not, that's not true. I think you have to do it because you care about it. I'm sure you enjoy playing more than doing any other thing. And you told me once that you were lucky because you get to play for a living. But the teaching has to give you some enormous sense of satisfaction to know that you are playing an important role in these young people's lives. It's, it's just, it's a critical thing. And without caring, passionate, purposeful teachers, we are nowhere. And those kids aren't coming to work with you every Sunday. And all these other kids wouldn't have you to think about when somebody asks them what people impacted your life. So I know playing is, is something you do every single day, but you're a teacher. You're a player, you're a composer, and you're a teacher. True. I mean, the teaching is great. I love it. I love teaching. I love the communication. I love giving them a skill that they're going to work on and seeing them get it right. I do like that.
No doubt about it. I believe this. People connect to emotions at some level or a skill set, and they look up to people. And if whether it's in music or sports, you're changing lives. Tell me what you think of the word mentor and how does it apply to you? It's just like what you're saying. I mean, I, I want to be there for them to see me. And, and so we work together. I, I don't want to be a, around kids just because I'm better than them. I want them to learn how to be like me and to take the skills that they learn to, to be great themselves. Uh, I want them all to succeed. Interesting point you bring up with why aren't there enough more mentors? You know, I've been fortunate when I go to Lincoln Center, I get to talk with Wynton Marsalis. Mm-hmm. Now, this is this is one amazing person. And he does. He digs you too, man. He digs you. Well, <laughs> you know, he's so busy, that guy. I mean, he's around so many great people every minute of his life. But I like what he said. He said, you know, it's too bad the way that our society is set up where people, they reach an age of retirement and then they go live off in Florida and they don't keep sharing their skills, you know, and he thinks people should do that. We have much better kids, but kids are lost. I mean, so many kids are lost without having mentors and people they can look up to. And I'm learning a lot from from this today. I want my kid and his friend and that girl and his son to listen to you. You care. And everybody that learns from you, like with Rob or me, knows that that guy cares. And they're going right. to stick to you like glue. One other thing, Greg, if somebody says to Wynton Marsalis, what do you think about Greg Gelb? He's going to have a ton to say. You may not <laughs> admit it, but he will have a ton to say. He took you out. You went out to dinner with him every year you see him. And he knows yeah. you. And he respects you. Guaranteed. Oh, he respects all the teachers. Anybody that's sharing the music with kids and working with kids, he respects. Who are some of your mentors besides you mentioned that Ron Carter? Who are some of your mentors, whether you even dealt with him directly, but you looked up to and wanted to be like? Any teacher I've ever had. Robbie, I don't know if you knew. I don't think I ever talked about him, but my teacher at Berkeley College of Music was a guy named Andy McGee, an African-American saxophone player. He was the only one in Woody Herman's band. The only black player in Woody Herman's band. He's from Wilmington, North Carolina. I always wanted to please him, you know, and also has the people I don't know. I still say if it wasn't for uh, John Coltrane and Miles Davis and Charlie Parker and and just their story, I I wouldn't have been led into the. I wouldn't have had any leaders, but I just I I just dreamed I wanted to be like them. Anytime I hear something that's better than me, that's something I'm trying to be. So it's a constant. What do you think it is at your core that drives you that way? There's something that drives you that's just the way you're built. I don't know. It's almost like maybe you could compare it to food. If you see some dish that just, you know, is going to taste good, man, or smells great. You just want it. When I hear something, you know, it sounds great. It just makes you feel good. You know, then you want to try to do it yourself. And you want to, you know, you want to go through the steps of getting to that point where you can play it. And then once you've had it, guess what? You're ready for something else. So John Stockton is my idol. You can look at his Hall of Fame speech. He, he would say, I was never once the best player on any team I ever played on. But I'll tell you what, nobody outworked him. Mm-hmm. And he made every team better. And he, even, you know, he may not say that. That's why he's so good because he's so humble, so driven. I, you remind me a lot of him. That's it. <laughs> it's that simple. It's that yeah. fundamental. I can't. Him. I can't answer your deep questions, Greg. I'm sorry. Damn it, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to. I'd like to, man. That's the genius behind it. That's the genius behind everything. You're so simple to who you are, 
And that's why you're, you're so good at it. You're like, do the damn work, do it over and over, follow it, love it. You have, you, you define passion. I mean, with a purpose and you, whether you even thought about that, I mean, anybody listens to you talk goes, that's a passionate dude. That man lives with a purpose. And Derek Spark would say, that man lives with intention. Talk a little about your songwriting. You know, where does all that come from? Where do you draw it from? I know you've got a bunch of CDs and what part of you is the composer? Again, it, it's just something I feel like I have to do to be a better musician. One of my mentors and teachers was Phil Woods. Greg, are you familiar with Billy Joel? Just the way you are? Oh, yeah. And there's a great saxophone solo on that. Well, that's Phil Woods. He played in Quincy Jones's band. You know, people still don't know who Phil Woods is. As being somebody who was closest to the possible connection I could make to Charlie Parker... It turns out Phil Woods married Charlie Parker's wife. Charlie Parker died at 35 from an overdose. And the coroner, when they looked at his body, said, well, there's a 65-year-old man in there. He had destroyed himself. So Phil Woods uh, is the closest I could get to Charlie Parker. He was a great musician. He lived in Delaware Water Gap. And so I took five lessons from him. I got a, I got a grant. Uh, so I traveled up there five times. And the first, I got my saxophone on my back. And I'm ready to take a saxophone lesson from him. He says, okay, what do you know uh, on the piano? <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know much. He said, do you write songs? I go, well, I, you know, I try to. He said, well, show me what you can do. And I couldn't do shit, you know. And, and basically, we didn't even play the saxophone that first lesson. And he gave me like a two-hour lesson. He said, well, next time you come back, write me three songs. Wow. He said, because a jazz musician, if you can't write and if you can't play the piano, you're really not a good musician because it's all there. All the theory is on the piano. You, you, all the notes are there. And if you start writing it, then it connects your brain more to the notes and the music and how it all works out. Writing music is just something I, I should do. It's not, it's not because of tune. I, I don't get a muse. I don't get a tune coming into my head. It comes, uh, a song will come to me when I'm playing. And I, I think, oh, well, maybe I can turn that into a song. And so then the whole structure of composition and what I've learned about how to write songs and how to write big band charts, then there's a lot of study that went into that. So there might be an impulse in there, you know, that it said, oh, well, that's, that feels good. You know, those notes feel good. But then you have to develop it into something. Mm. And whether those notes that feel good are, are trying to represent love or, or hate or whatever, I can get tied up in emotion and, and think, okay, this piece has got to show some energy or this piece has got to show some subtlety or some beauty, you know, that can happen. But I'm not driven by something um, that's God given. I really am not. But you've written like Latin jazz and big band yeah. jazz and swing jazz and every genre of jazz. I mean, there are so many different forms of jazz and yeah. you've written songs. Popular. <laughs> What's that? Nothing pop. <laughs> I can't no. do the pop stuff. I don't agree with you completely. Not all your songs are just total improv and self-expression. There's some form and melody to a lot of your stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You, listen, let's face the fact, I still feel like I'm copying other people. I mean, I'm still driven by what other people have done. So, so were they, brother. Yeah, they so were, were they. Yeah. You know, great artists steal, know how to steal the best. <laughs> two, two questions, two different people. What would you tell a young teacher in your field 
now that you've kind of been through the process where you're at now, and what would you tell a young guy your age at 19, what would advice would you give? So one as a teacher and one as a student. Every year out of this band, half the band goes into music. They want to go into music full time, you know, get their degrees in music and become jazz musicians. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, <laughs> how are they going to make a living when gigs are paying still the same thing they paid 30 years ago for jazz musicians? How are they going to survive? I usually do tell them, I say, you need to have a lot of skills because if you just think you're going to make it as a player, it's going to be rough. That's my advice. So when a kid says, hey, I'm getting a business degree also, and, and I'm like, hey, that's a good idea, <laughs> you know, uh, or I'm getting a composition degree and I'm going to keep playing. You know, it's a good thing to do. But, you know, somehow like uh, Greg and Rob, the other thing, I look at my son, all he's doing is playing. I was just going to bring Chris up. He's playing. And, you know, I look at him and I go, God, I wish I could have done that, you know, and just, you know, just been kind of carefree and go from one gig to another. But he's unstable. You know, he doesn't want that. He wants some more stability in his life. And um, so I think I think it's good advice to recommend that students have either a, a degree uh, to teach or to, uh, um, you know, be in the business. But, you know, the kids that are going into it that I keep turning out, boy, they are so good, man. I tell you, <laughs> they are good. And now I've got some students that say, hey, you know, I'm not even going to go to college and I'm just going to try to make it now as a player. But the realities are it's so hard. I don't know there's a lot of thoughts going through my mind. Maybe somebody like Wynton Marsalis was told by his father. It's a great story he tells. He said uh, they were living in New Orleans and... Uh, and Winton was getting ready to go off to the Juilliard School of Music. And his father says, uh, hey, Winton, uh, why you got that big suitcase uh, with you that you're taking up there? He says, well, you know, if things don't work out, you know, I need to have a whole bunch of clothes <laughs> or I need to have a, a backup plan. And his father said, no, you don't. You, if, if you know what you want, just go for that. Now, that can work for certain people. And it did for him. But then you look at Winton now, what does he do? He's, he's like one of the best, greatest mentors we have in jazz. He's got Jazz at Lincoln Center, which is totally, totally into education. So he's given of himself so much uh, of teaching people about jazz. But at first it was just like, you know, just, gonna, just play, just go for it. I just, I, I guess it goes back to my mother. Say, man, you better teach. So yeah. what would you tell? What would you? What would advice would you give to a young teacher that's going down that path and now wants to teach? I, I'm just not one of the regular type of musicians. I didn't go through high school band programs. A lot of these kids who want to teach, they've been through the whole thing. They know how to teach a uh, marching band. They know. I hated marching band. You know, I didn't want to be part of that. Even though I look at it now, I think it's so cool. Uh, but when I was a kid, I didn't appreciate it at all. Um, so these these young teachers, they've all gone through school. They know, they know the system. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about Chris Gelb. Obviously, when somebody asks him who his greatest influences were, he's going to say my dad. I'm just leading by example, Robbo. I don't, I don't sit around talking. I don't know. Maybe you guys are going to change me. I'm going to start sitting around and talking to people a lot more. Don't than change. I <laughs> How old is Chris? He's 30. He's a great player. He's an instinctive player. He just... You just watch him and he listens. He knows how to make his part fit in as a drummer. I mean, he's just, he's a great listener. He gets that from his mother's side. Uh, Kathy, my wife, is a great natural singer. And her dad was a blind jazz musician who could hear, I mean, 
what a memory and what a sense of hearing. So the talent comes from that side. My son has never gotten my work ethic. He does not practice. I don't, I don't bug him about it. I've never bugged him about it. He plays just naturally great. For me, I just, it's just what I had to do. I had to do it this way for me. You had, um, told, you had told me he's the best drummer you ever played with. Oh, I love playing with him because he, he listens. You, you're communicating with him. He's not just doing skills. Yeah, you know he, so he's he, playing. He's organic. He obviously got the love of music from both sides, Kathy and you. Yep. He's seen your dedication. He's oh, yeah. he's absorbed all of it. So if he's not out there, you know, like you were doing scales for seven hours a day, he's doing things that keep him great. And he's obviously yeah. got the love. I'm so glad we did this. Because I love you and I respect you. And I love to hear you talk about what you're so passionate about and so knowledgeable about. Anything else you'd like to tell people about yourself, about jazz, about anything? This really helps me out because sometimes I think, why am I doing the music? And it always has to go back to, you know, the original source. It's like, is it just for me? Is it just because I want to be better at it? Or is there something I can do with it? So by talking with you two, you know, I realized, you know, that's still what I got to do. I still got my next projects. It's got to be some way of sending a message through the music. Hey, man. Hey, everybody listens to music and we need it more than ever. So if you can connect with somebody music, telling the truth through a song, I'm all for it, man. Well, I'm really glad we did this. I'm really yeah. glad that the two Gregs got to meet because I'm proud of both of you. Really glad we did this today. Well, this has been so much fun for me, too. So thank you. And the Rob, the show is great. And Greg, the show is great. I mean, that thing you did with Derek Sparks, man, that is touching stuff. I don't see why it shouldn't be on a major network, man. But you are now yeah. ordained a 3 P champion. That's right. Good. Greg right. and Greg, love you both. I love you, too. See you, Robbie. We hope you enjoyed listening to Greg speak about music, life, kids, family, as much as we did. I can tell you firsthand, he's the hardest worker I've ever known. We lived together in Boston for a year and he worked on his music hour upon hour upon hour every day and it's paid off. And that's his philosophy, work hard and good things will happen. Yeah, Greg, uh, it was fun to listen to and learn about him. I love his comments about his leadership style, which is basically working hard and leading by example. He plays with his students, he coaches them and teaches them, has fun with them, and he loves the impact he makes on them. I thought it's pretty impressive that I think he, you know, that some of these festivals they try to get these kids to, which are difficult, some of the people and, and groups they compete against maybe have practiced five days a week and his group only one day a week. And I think he mentioned they got there five years in a row. So I'm sure he teaches and leads like the way he uh, works hard to, to uh, master his music talent. But his work ethic, his humbleness, I just thought it was fascinating to hear somebody just down to earth who really earned everything he had. So Greg was a great guy, and I think he's probably a great leader and teacher. Yeah, as a player, he plays in a big band. He leads a Latin band, his youth band. He just enjoys what he does and works very hard at it. And he's just a great guy. He's a great friend. I think he's having a huge impact on the lives of many young people. So thank you so much for listening. Come back and join us again next week on 3P Champions.